listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Please take your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We're in a series called Forward for Eternity. And it's a unique series for us because we don't do a lot of topical series here at our church. We usually do maybe one or two per calendar year. And the reason we don't do a lot of topical series, nothing wrong with topical series, but I prefer to preach what we call exegetically. And that's a big word, but it just means you take the truth of the passage, what is the main point of the text, and you make that the main point of your message. And I've actually found out that even when I do have a topical series here, uh, I was actually talking with my friend about this. It kind of came up, and I realized that, wait a minute, the last, like, three years, we've had a topical series, and every single time I end up just preaching through a chapter of Romans when we have a topical series. I don't know if you've recognized that. We, we had a series through Romans chapter 8, and then we did a series last year called Church on Fire on Romans 13 and 14. So, yeah, we're a church. We don't always preach topically, but when we do... We preach from Romans. Okay, that's, that's where we're at with this. Uh, but the reason we are here in Romans chapter 12 is because this is a great chapter on getting to the heart cry of what our church is all about. And I don't see any reason why we can't still do that on Mother's Day, right? Mothers need Romans 12. And as a matter of fact, as we go on in this message in particular, we're going to see that a mother's love is something that highlights and is a great reflection of our Savior. And that's why I've entitled this sermon as Fervent Mothers. But this is a big month for our church with this series of Forward for Eternity. Next week, we are asking you to fill out a commitment card to give above and beyond your tithe to this opportunity that's presented itself to us. We have to move out of this building in a couple months. So, you know, that's, that's news, right? Like, that's a big deal. And God has opened the door for us to have this building, this perspective building that we're looking at right now, where we can advance our, our footprint in this community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can take the Great Commission forward. I mean, and if that doesn't get your blood pumping, I don't know what really does. So instead of simply in this series starting with stewardship and generosity, we're working through Romans 12 to see what's behind that. And what is behind that is the DNA of our church. Worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work through Christ. And it's been very convicting to see all three of these elements in Romans 12. We've seen present your body as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. We've seen that right off the bat in Romans 12.1. We've seen let your love be genuine, walking in love, which comes from walking with Christ. And we've seen in verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So we've seen the working through Christ component of our church. 
And we're picking it up this morning right in the middle of this passage where Paul is describing the marks of a true, genuine Christian. He's talking about letting your love be genuine. And what a loaded phrase that is. We spent the entire message last last Sunday working through that and looking into that. And when you look closely at this passage, what he's doing here is he's talking about a love that is expanding. So he starts with you in verse 9, really all the way back to verse 1, but specifically in our immediate, immediate context. It's you, let your love be genuine, right? And then verse 10, it's branching out into this other realm of loving other people, walking in love with those other followers of Jesus Christ that are with you in the same church. And then eventually in verse 14, he's going to get to loving your enemies and blessing those who persecute you. But this morning, we're still in this second circle, right in the middle of this section, verses 10 through 13, that teach about walking in love with one another. And the first half of that point was clearly, let your love be genuine, loving genuinely. And now there's going to be, on the second half, another emphasis. And without telling you, I want to just read this passage with you, and I want you to look for it yourself. So we'll back up. We'll start in verse 9, and we'll read all the way through. Verse 13, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. So what do you think? Did you recognize the shift here of emphasis in the second half of this section on love? The focus is clearly on loving enthusiastically. Love genuinely. Also, let's love enthusiastically. Now, a lot to get into on this point. Many of you know I didn't grow up here in the beautiful state of South Carolina. I grew up in Illinois for the most part. I mean, I was born in Wisconsin, lived in Atlanta, Georgia, Hartford, Connecticut. But the summer before my third grade year of school, we moved to Illinois. And I stayed there all the way until I came to college here in South Carolina. A little bit back and forth after that. But, but South Carolina and Illinois are very different states. Very different states. A lot of good similarities, but they're, they're different. One of the biggest differences is the weather, okay? And in Illinois, it snows a lot. You get a lot of ice. And so much so that the cities in Illinois, they put salt on the roads, okay? Thankfully, we don't do that here in South Carolina. Thankfully, we don't have that problem that they do in Illinois. Uh, but they salt the roads, and it's great because it helps, you know, melt, melt the snow. So it's drivable conditions. That's nice. The thing about that, though, and my dad and mom will definitely attest to this, you have to be diligent and on washing your car or else that salt will absolutely rust the underneath of your car. It'll just rust out. It gets really rusty really fast if you're not on it, okay? And when I was a junior in high school, I got my first car. It was a 1976 Plymouth Fury. All right, this thing had a V8 5.2 liter engine. It got eight miles to the gallon. Uh, I was thankfully only paying a buck 25 or something like that for gas back then. I don't even, it was like a different, different lifetime ago, right? But in this car, 
it only had 140,000 miles. This was, this was like, it, the engine ran great, but the body of that car from Sterling, Illinois, was very, very rusty. So much so that I could be cruising down the road. I remember one day I was coming back from work. I worked at a golf course and at a farm. I was driving down this country road, and I just heard this loud pop, and the entire frame of my car just snapped in half <laughs> from rust. The engine was running great. The body was done, okay? The engine outlasted the body because that car got really, really rusty way before I ever had it. And I was sad. I mean, we were actually moving in a few weeks anyway, so I had to like pay $50 to give that beautiful car to the junkyard. I still like wish I could go back in time and, and save that somehow, but I mean, such is life, right? Like, the, but I'm talking more about just don't let your car get rusty here, right? If you catch my drift. Where are we going with this spiritually? There are a lot of Christians, they lose their enthusiasm about the gospel. They still know the truth, right? The engine is still running, but the body wears down. The body gets really, really rusty. It corrodes from the inside, and it's not a pretty picture when that happens. So the question I have for you today is, how do you keep from spiritually rusting out? And how does that happen to people? Well, for one, ungenuine love is going to do that. Love that's not rooted in a grateful response for what Jesus has sacrificed for you. And a love that instead elevates yourself and your desires. That's going to create problems if, if left unchecked over time. But in verse 11, we are getting a strong dose of spiritual rust resistance. And many Christians fall into this, honestly, this, this just trap of losing their passion, losing their intensity for the cause of Christ. You could even call it losing their first love. But we can't afford to be those kind of Christians who lose their affection and their enthusiasm and their intensity for the gospel of Jesus. And one of the inner barometers is where is your heart at on this verse right here? Romans 12, 11. Only you can fully answer that question. But honestly, assess yourself. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. So the first way today, number one, that you can avoid spiritually rusting out and rusting away is, number one, do not be slothful in zeal. You see where I'm getting this? And I want to explain this phrase to you because, unfortunately, zeal is not a very commonly used word in our culture anymore. We don't see a lot of this or hear a lot about this. And usually when we do talk about zeal, it's either in an extreme kind of situation. But the original Greek word is spoud, and it means hurry or haste. And I know what you're thinking. Wait, do not be slothful in your haste? Do not be lazy in your hurry, in your hustle? Does that even sound Christian? <laughs> well, it's in Scripture, so it is. And we have to slow down and talk about this because there's a lot to unpack here. In our culture, 
we definitely live in a post-Christian society. Many of us no longer have single earner incomes that are supporting the home. Many of us no longer have jobs with normal hours. I'm not saying we're the only culture throughout history that has had this happen to us. Like this happens a lot in in cultures and throughout history where people get overworked. Um, But ever since, I mean, you could say 2008, which is the year right after I graduated from undergrad, millennials and Generation Z have had a really hard time getting ahead, finding a career where they can save and even build a little wealth like their parents could. And I wish society was still structured the same way that it was for the previous generations in in America, where you could find a job in a factory that could actually, you could afford a house. Like, you know what I mean? Like a simple, like that would be great, but it's not that simple anymore. The price of healthy food has gone through the roof. Inflation across the board has gotten really bad. Wages haven't kept up with that. At the same time, businesses are stretched really thin. There's not as many hardworking, honest, moral people in our society either. So you have all of these complicating factors where people are getting like good hard workers, people who are honest and and solid, they get stretched very thin. They get overworked. They get into a situation where they can barely get by. Either they're working like crazy and they don't have enough time to breathe and sleep Or else you're going the other direction. Like, let's just make as much money as possible, right? Like, there's all kinds of extremes going on in our culture right now. And so we do have a society that is redlining at 6 RPMs in so many other areas. And so the natural response is to find areas in your life where you can slow down. So, rightfully so. Christians talk about slowing down. Do not do everything. Pick your spots. The Christian life, and we've talked a lot about this in our church, the Christian life isn't about striving and doing all the work yourself, fixing all the problems. No, it's, it's walking in the spirit, right? Doing the things that the Lord leads you to do. And I, and I definitely get all that. I, I'm wired this way myself. Like I love to stay busy and on the go. But as I've grown in my relationship with the Lord, as I've grown in my relationship with my wife, I have learned to say no sometimes, to slow down sometimes, because it affects a lot of other things. But our culture is so upside down with go, go, go. Get your kid in three extracurricular activities. How many side hustles do you have? You better have at least one side hustle, right? Otherwise, what are you doing with your life? We're we're such in that world that almost all you hear from the church and other well-meaning sources is take it easy, slow down, which in many cases is a needed message for you to hear. We certainly talk about that here at, at our church and life groups, from the pulpit and the podcast. But you can take any good thing too far, right? It's all about finding a balance, And the truth of the matter is, there's a lot of Christians who are really busy about a whole lot of other things more than they are about do not be slothful in zeal for Christ's church and for his kingdom and for his glory. I dare say 
that we lean more heavily into the slothful side than we do the hustle and bustle side of let's make haste while there is still today because we have the message of the gospel, the eternal hope of the kingdom of God that we want to share with other people. Am I right? I mean, where do you think we fall? Now, we could talk about other Christians all we want. We could talk about what does the average Christian hustle the most for? Is it a vacation home or the other extreme, like I talked about, like just survival, right? Making ends meet. Or maybe it is trying to get ahead in the American dream of whatever niche you want to carve out. That's what you're pursuing. Does the average Christian care more about that or moving forward for eternity? The gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, is that even a hard question? But here's what I don't want you to do. Just like last week, I don't want you to just look at other Christians and, oh, yeah, what are they doing? I want you to personalize this yourself. Are you passionately energetic about your calling as a member of the church of Jesus Christ? Are you enthusiastically on fire for the mission that God has given you to shine his light, to show his glory, and to share the truth of the gospel to a lost and dying world? Do not be slothful in zeal. Get after it. Like we talked about last week, this isn't a recreational kickball league. That's not what the church is. It's not a child's game either. We are talking about life and death. We have limited time down here in this present life. And we do have business to accomplish. The fields are white and ready to harvest. People are dying and going to hell. And that's not a joke. That's real. The world laughs about it. The world makes a joke about it. But they don't understand the gravity of what they're even saying. If you have a family, if you're a mother in the room today, you have arrows that you are shaping and crafting to shoot and shoot into this dark world and to light it up with the truth of Jesus Christ and the love of God. And if, they, if you're not doing that, I mean, God's going to use someone else. So I dare say this is something that's not talked about enough. Yes, we need to be balanced. I'm not saying burn yourself out and go 90 miles a minute. Take breaks, refresh yourself, even, even workout kings, you know, the people who just like are, are in it, they're, they are shredding themselves every day, building muscle, right? I know some of you are like, oh, yeah, like, yeah. Like, hey, what do they do? Well, they take, they get in ice baths. They, like, drink recovery drinks, right? They spend just as much time on the recovery. That's very, very important. But the question for most people isn't, are you making sure you're taking time to recover? It's not really that question. Are you sure you're in that recovery room enough? No, the question really is, like, do you even lift, bro? Like, like, are you even trying, Ray, out here? Spiritually speaking, are you hustling and grinding it out in all these other areas of your life? Or is there urgency for the gospel and enthusiasm for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Spiritually speaking, some of us look in the mirror like, oh, might be looking a little pudgy. When was the last time I broke a broke a sweat spiritually about not being slothful in zeal. In the Gospel of John, chapter 9, Jesus was asked a question about a blind man. 
And there's a lot going on in this answer. Um, you can turn there to John 9 if you want to, but I'll, I'll read it to you. There's this man who's born blind, and the question is, whose fault is this? Who sinned? Was it his fault or was it his parents' fault? It's a terrible question, by the way. It's the wrong question. And because of that, Jesus doesn't even directly answer their question. Instead, he says, and I'll put the screen up, put it up here on the screen for you, John 9, verses 3 and 4. It was not this man or his parents that sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is the day. Night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit in the ground, made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So we went and washed and came back seeing. Like I said, there's so much more in that verse. But I want you to take that one little piece out of this for right now. Work while it is called today. There is The night is coming when you won't be able to do what you can do right now. And we saw the same urgency in the last series we had. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13. Now may the God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God and the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now, we still have Galatians 6, 9 in scriptures. Do not grow weary in doing well. For in due season you will reap if you faint not. Like, there is a balance to this. And I'm not saying you need to run until you faint and burn yourself out. Some Christians do also say that. And I don't think that's balanced. I never see in scripture you flooring it with the pedal to the metal until you blow your engine. But contrary to what we hear today, there have been a lot of Christians who in the past did think this way. In church history, there was a man named Henry Martin, and he was a passionate Irishman who found Christ, gave his life to Jesus, and he went to the mission field in India in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And get what he said here, because this is like so countercultural, almost foreign to what you'd hear a modern American saying. He said, now let me burn out for God. Okay, so a lot of people in church history have thought the right way. Now, some people can take the words of Henry Martin there and say, oh, let me burn out for God. Yeah, yeah, they can get really into that, take it away from its context, and you can just take the words of a man, right? And out of its context, you can take that and go too far with it. I think Henry Martin's passion, his, his, uh, his motivation behind saying that was great. But if you isolate that from all of the scripture that we just talked about, be like, I'm going to burn out for Jesus, yes. That's not exactly what scripture is saying either. So hopefully you can see all of that. There has to be some middle ground between Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, and what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's a balance that comes into play 
Where do you lean in this? But the main point of this passage, back to Romans 12, is to get on it. Be realistic about the gravity of your calling. We are talking about eternity. And in Romans 12, the emphasis is on this, on this side of the coin. The side of the coin that we probably all need to hear. Do not be slothful in zeal. You have one life and only what's done for Christ will last. Now in point two, I can honestly tell you, I was thinking after my first read that the second point was going to bring this balance that I just talked about. Look at it with me. Romans 12, verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So I'm like, oh, great. Here's the balance that we need. Hustle, hurry, do not be slothful in zeal, but walk in the spirit. Take it slow. You don't have to solve every problem and fix everyone. Now that's true. And hopefully what, you know, what you just saw from scripture, that is, that is definitely the case. And that's what I wanted to say. But as I just pointed out, you have to go to other places in Scripture to get that because what we have here in Scripture is not saying that. <laughs> we have to avoid eisegesis. And I can't read into this text what I wanted to say. I have to be faithful to what it actually says. I have to draw out the truth and exegete that by telling you this be fervent in spirit is not talking about the Holy Spirit at all in the original. It's saying the exact same thing. <laughs> Paul is doubling down on the same point. He's telling us again to step up and stay hungry. So be fervent in spirit is not the Holy Spirit. In the original, we're talking about your inner person. You could say your soul, your driving, motivating passion. Be fervent. And sometimes that word is translated enthusiastic, but it literally means to boil. To be fervent means to be so hot that you're boiling, bubbling over with energy. And yes, Paul is saying again, in case you didn't get it the first time, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. This is how you avoid rusting out. You redeem the time because the days are evil. You give your energy to glorifying God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. You put your money in things of eternal value. You invest in things that will reap rewards and build a greater future for God's kingdom rather than trivial things that are here today and gone tomorrow. I was talking with my oldest son the other day, and um, he was debating on what to spend his money on. I think there's going to come a day where I can't use my kids' illustrations as much. You know, I was, that's, that's going to that's happen eventually. But, but we're having this conversation, and... And we were talking through, okay, you, you want a really nice pair of shoes. That's great. We give our kids an allowance just so they can learn how to manage money and save money. And tr we're trying to use that as a small allowance to teach them about money in that sense. And we were talking about, well, if you want to save up for something nice, you can't just spend your money on this $2 prime hydration drink, right? <laughs> like if you're every buck 50 you have, you're, you're going to buy a bag of chips at the sporting event. Like... Why are you spending your money on something like that? You're not going to be able to have the nice things if you do that, right? A lot of us had those kind of conversations with our parents, right? Growing up, hopefully you did. Those are conversations you need to have with your kids. 
But we're talking about this very important thing, and it's true. You can, you can buy cheap shoes that won't last, or you can be, be wise and save and get the nice ones that you actually want. Ones that will like, be a conversation piece, ones that will like, make a difference and be fun. At the same time, this life principle that applies to our finances is also true in how we invest in Christ's church and his eternal kingdom. Just extrapolate that on a grander scale. How are you spending your time and your talent? Is it on consumable things that will be thrown away at the end of the day? Or is it on something that will matter for eternity? Is it an investment that will gain value over time? Now, we're not going to spend much more time on this point, this exact point today. Uh, But I want you to see where Paul goes with this in verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. That's something our church takes very seriously. Give generously to others. And you can't do that if you're just buying whatever looks shiny, whatever, you know, opening this, going for that. Every new thing that catches your attention. If you're that easily diverted, you're not going to be able to invest in the big things. And right now our church has a big opportunity. We have a chance to take a huge step. And honestly, it's up to you if you want to participate or not. Are you up for it? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now to do all of that, where do you need to look? How can you pull that off? I want, you to, I want you to listen closely here. This is not just a rah, rah sermon to get you pumped up. I'm not just trying to stir you up and, and get you moving. Partially that, because that's the, the direct application here that we should all be challenged by. But here's why I spent so much time at the beginning framing the context for you here in Romans 12. Because you cannot afford to miss the depths of this. Where does this come from? You can back up all the way to Romans 12, verse 1. By the mercies of God, present your body as a living sacrifice. Remember how we spent two weeks on Romans 12, 1 and 2? The only way you stay fresh and hungry and passionate and energetic and avoid rusting away is when you keep your eyes on the mercy of God. And the grace of God that has been so lavishly poured out on you. You have to look to your Savior, Jesus Christ. And when you see what he's done for you, you're inspired by his love to love others. And you're motivated to use your gifts through the grace given to you. You have to look to Jesus and his love for you and allow that to inspire you and motivate you to love genuinely. And I tell you what, Pastor Lee is preaching to the kids, preaching to the kids right now because he doesn't know how to not preach. Uh, he, he, was at the, he was at the men's breakfast yesterday. We have our men's breakfast the second Saturday of the month at 8 o'clock. It was so good. He, he was challenging us, and I was talking with another guy in our, our church. Like, you know, you could call it a challenge. It, it was definitely a sermon. Uh, 
and he was real and raw and honest about his life. And he was just talking about this exact same thing, really. <laughs> he wasn't in Romans 12, but, but he was talking about, look, there's things in my life that I can get hung up on and caught up in. And, you know, I see even some of those things in my own children. But he said, at the end of the day, what am I actually sacrificing for God? You can cut your Netflix subscription, right? Like, these are some of the things Lee was pointing out. Like, he didn't need it. Like, I don't need my Disney Plus account. Like, you know, can I give some of those things at this season right now to eternity? And like, just his passion and heart behind that was so great to hear. The reason we have our Saturday morning at 8 a.m. men's breakfast is because we want men to understand it is a sacrifice leading a home. Or even if you're not leading at home yet, you're preparing yourself to do that, right? So get up at 8 and, and have it done by 9.30 so you can get home and you can have the rest of your day to invest in others. That's what it's all about. It's about learning to actually wake up sometimes earlier than you want. This is very much Romans 12.11 here. This is a 5 a.m. passage, not a 9.30 a.m. passage, right? This is about actually waking up early, doing something that you don't feel like doing because God's called you to something bigger than yourself. But without Christ, none of this works. You literally try hard, burn out, fizzle out. You have to look to Jesus Christ. Because without him, we were all lost and hopeless. You remember verse 3 of Romans 12? Verse 3, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Without the mercy of God and the steadfast love of Jesus, you were on a path of destruction. And we would all be just doing something else that's not as important, not as valuable, not as exciting as what we get to do because we are saved by his grace. God loved you first. He sent his son, Jesus, so that you might be redeemed. And I fully realize this may sound right now a little overwhelming to some of you, especially those of you who are in the grind of like, I might have to get a new job. You know, like, I can't, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I'm stretched really thin. Maybe, maybe that's you. David, I'm just one of those people trying to survive. I want to be enthusiastic, but I'm drained right now. I hear you. And over the course of life, we all go through seasons like that. Here's the verse I would like to point you to. Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 30. Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Listen to that. You need Jesus. You need to walk in the Spirit. You need to maybe even pray, Lord, give me strength. I don't have enough on my own right now. I need this from you. 
And when you do that, you will stay hungry. You will stay passionate. You will stay enthusiastic about the calling on your life that you now have because of Jesus. I saw this graphic um, this week online, and I thought it was really good. I don't have time to go into into it fully, but it really does fit in this passage. This is a challenging passage to take in, right? This is a passage about doing some spiritual push-ups, learning, like, yeah, I can crush it. I'm not just going to coast. So in light of that, I thought I would share this graphic. And here's the graphic I saw. I'll put it up here on the screen. Hopefully you can see that. When you make hard decisions one by one, making the hard choice, doing the right thing, which is rarely ever the easy thing, right? When you make hard choices, eventually your life is going to get to a point where it's a blessing. It's easier. And I mean, the goal isn't to have an easy life, but we're just saying like, look, things are going to be smoother. People know how to love one another. People aren't just being selfish, right? Like, because you've invested, you've put the work in, you've made hard choices. Now you have some blessings from God and your life is a whole lot better than it was way when you started a long time before, right? So make those hard choices. When you just make the easy choice, just do the easy thing, what happens in life? Your life gets harder. Do you see how that works? Let's let that sink in. Worship team, you can come up here. Now, there's a lot of ways I could close this message. But it is really pretty simple. There's been two points about serving the Lord enthusiastically, and they both are saying the exact same thing. This is a one-note message. Serve the Lord enthusiastically, but you cannot miss what's behind that. You serve the Lord enthusiastically because of what Jesus has done for you. And what greater illustration is there of a loving, sacrificial Savior that we have in Jesus Christ, then taking a look at a loving, sacrificial mother. Think about that. Yeah, there's some selfish mothers. There's some unloving mothers who are cold. I, I, I know they're out there. And some of you have, I mean, you've, you've experienced that. We've, we've had conversations about that. But there are so many more loving mothers who are inspired and motivated by their God-given intrinsic love for their child, and they sacrifice. And they enthusiastically wake up at 5 a.m. They stay up late. They clean up the mess. And they do it all day in, day out because of love, enthusiastically. Think about all the times your mother dropped everything to speak the truth, to keep you in line. Think about all the times your mother was passionate about making your life better. A loving mother is an example of pouring herself out to love her kids. And that is a reflection, a reflection of our Savior's love. Of course, His love is perfect. It's far greater Nothing is going to ultimately compare to our Savior's sacrificial love for us. It is the pinnacle. But it's a hint of what we have in Jesus Christ. Jesus gave it all for you. 
And if you have repented of your sin, you said, I am sorry, God, for going my way, doing it for myself and and, and living for my own passions and glory. And you repent of that and you turn to your creator and you say, I know that you created me to glorify you. You sent Jesus to die for me, to save me when I couldn't save myself. If you have done that, or if you need to do that today, the invitation is open. He's knocking at the door right now of your heart. And if that's true for you, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And your spiritual worship is to present your body as a living sacrifice. any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.